1 Kings 17. And this morning on this Good Mother's Day, I just want to make uh, kind of three overarching points from the text. You know, jot those down if you want in your bulletin. As you can see, uh, as we read earlier, uh, that uh, what a beautiful passage, especially 8 through 16, that God promises this widow and her son that uh, she'll never be empty nor dry, that God would provide for her. And uh, it is a remarkable passage. In fact, chapter 17 through 19 is one literary unit together uh, in the book of First Kings. And um, I feel like we're kind of parachuting ourselves down into the text today. We've not necessarily been reading and walking all the way through First Kings, but you find that there's all kinds of turmoil that's going on and uh, the chapters previous to this and uh, Ahab is a terrible king and all kinds of problems. And so when you get to chapter 17, it is this abrupt introduction of this crazy prophet named Elijah. And uh, that the Lord does some incredible and wonderful miracles through him. In fact, if you go all the way over to the book of James in the New Testament, the Bible teaches us that he was a man of like passions, which just simply means that Elijah was a normal, everyday person just like yourself, but that when his life was surrendered to God, that God was able to use him in a unique and a marvelous and a wonderful way. And so when we bring ourselves to this chapter, uh, let me just kind of bring us up to speed. You'll notice that in verse number 1, uh, God has used His prophet to announce that there would be a drought in the land and that uh, Ahab is not pleased with that at all. And in fact, in verse 2-7, through seven, you find that God tells Elijah to uh, go out into the desert and He will provide for him there. Uh, through the ravens. He'll bring meat for them and uh, be able to sustain him. And then we find that uh, he is brought over in verse number 8 to a place named Zarephath, and the Lord provides for him there. So let me just make, um, make a few points today for us on this Mother's Day. Here's the first point for those that are taking notes. That is that God is providentially working in every mom's life and in every human being's life. Let me say that again. God is providentially working in every mom's life, and for that sake of the matter today, every human being that is in uh, this room. And so when we think about the big theological term, something of God's providence, you don't want to mistake providence and sovereignty. Sovereignty is the divine authority and power and overruling of God throughout all history and humanity. But when we think about the providence of God, it is the divine sovereign's work in our life that God is at work in our life and in the world bringing about His divine intention. Uh, the history of this world and where we are going is not up in the air. Uh, you may look at the news cycle and you may look at what's going on in the world and feel like there's chaos everywhere and nobody is in control. And the world is simply some sort of chance or as Dawkins would say, that we are all dancing to the beat of our own DNA and there's nothing beyond this world, nothing out in the future. But what I want you to understand is that God is at work in your life every single day. And the text before us makes that as plain as it can possibly be. And you'll notice that by the repeating phrase of the Word, or the Word of the Lord, or the Word of Elijah. So for instance, in verse number 1 of this chapter, you see that the drought is brought upon the land by the Word of Elijah, who is the prophet of the Lord. 
God is actively at work in the land bringing about a drought so that they would know that He is the Lord Almighty and that ultimately His people would learn to trust Him and those who are not His people would bow in repentance and faith and trust in the Lord. You find in verse number 2 through verse number 7, you see verse number 2, the Word of the Lord came to him saying these things. You find that in verse 2 through 7, that the Word of the Lord provides provision for the prophet of God through the very creation of God. God is able to use ravens to bring sustenance to His people. God is the Creator of the world. He is the Sustainer of the world. God is able to use His creation to sustain His people. Jesus is on the boat in the New Testament and He stands after all of the disciples are frustrated and they say, do you not even care that we perish? And Jesus says, peace be still." He is able to calm the waves. He is able to stop the wind. And He does all of that by the word of His mouth. The great authority of God is the very word of God spoken out from all time and written in the word of God. He is the one with divine authority. Amen? God is providentially at work in your life and in my life. He is at work bringing the drought. He is at work bringing the provision. In verse number 8, you'll see that. In verse number 16, again, the same repeating phrase. The Word of the Lord is able to bring endless food. Endless food is given to this prophet and the widow and her son. God provides again, not only through creation, but through humanity for His people. Verse number 24 ends this chapter and you'll see the same repeating phrase again that the lady now comes to understand that the word of the prophet and the word of the Lord are unanimous and they are together and they are true and right. For God alone is able to bring resurrection to her son who dies, the life goes out of him and Elijah lays his life down on top of her son three times and the breath of life is brought back into her son and He is given to her and we find once again that God is providentially at work in the lives of people for His glory and for our good. Amen. I want you to know that no matter what's going on in your life today, whether you can see it or whether you can't, God is busy in your life. He has not left you alone. He has not left you on an island. He has not deserted you. He has not ostracized you. You have not sinned so much that you are not under His care. But God is actively working in your life. And if you have unconfessed sin, if you have sin in your life and not following Him, if you're one of His, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we know that we are the children of God when He disciplines us. And so if you're sinning, if you're not walking with Him, if you have open and unconfessed sin in your life, God doesn't leave you alone. God is providentially at work in a disciplinary way in your life, bringing you back to Him and correcting you of your sin. And if you're in this room today and maybe you're a mom and you've lost a son or you're, uh, you're in here today and you're a lady and you want with all of your heart to be a mother or maybe you're in here today and say, I'm not a mom nor I'm not even a woman. I'm a guy in here today. I want you to understand that whatever you are facing, God is at work in your life. 
for His glory and for your good. And when you leave here in just a few minutes and you go take mom to the restaurant or, hey, can I say something? You know, there's some folks in a size crowd today. You know, there's some people in this room that I know personally whose mom has passed away. I want you to understand that none of that has taken God by surprise and that He loves you and that He is at work in your life today. So trust Him and follow Him and walk with Him. Let me see if I can just make a couple of points here in an application way, just premature application. You notice the repeating phrase in verse 2, verse number 8, verse 16, and verse 24. The Word of the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Do you pay attention to God's Word? Do you read His written revelation? I'm not talking about just a devotional here or there or something around Christmas time and Easter time. I'm not talking about just on Sundays when you bring the Bible. But I'm saying, do you get up every day of your life and hunger and thirst after God and seek to open up the written revelation and read and know God's Word? If you say today that you are a believer in Jesus and you do not have an active ongoing Bible life where you are reading every day seeking to understand, not getting it all, not knowing it all, certainly not necessarily applying it all, having to say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me, help me today. But you're not hungering and thirsting after the things of God in His Word. I want to say to you today, you're sinning against Him. And how could you possibly think that you would be able to know the God of heaven nor be sustained and helped and strengthened if you're not in this ongoing relationship with Him whereby you are listening to the Word of God through the Scripture? And while I'm at it and I already feel some of the knives in my back, let me just say this as well too. I just throw it all out there for you. Did y'all know that we have Wednesday night service here? Did anybody know that at all? Brothers and sisters, if I told you that I had a friend that ate one meal a week, you'd tell me, get him to the hospital. That person's going to starve to death. But how many Christians realize that they have a midweek service where they could come for less than an hour, hear a little bit of God's Word, and pray for brothers and sisters in Christ and find every excuse in the world not to do that. By the time Wednesday comes, aren't you so dirty with the world that you need a little bit of help somewhere? I want to encourage you today to listen to the Word of God. You see, it's one thing for me to stand up here, and you know I get excited when I'm preaching. If I don't get as excited today, I mowed the lawn. Man, I'm off course now. I mowed the lawn yesterday. Did anybody have the first time in like six weeks of no rain to be able to have, mow your lawn? I mowed my lawn, and there was pollen everywhere. And so if it seems like I'm a little, uh, not as on it today, I'm just, my, my head's kind of hurting. But even though I can't be over the top today for you, can I just share truth with you and tell you, if you want to know God's providential work in your life, you've got to find it in the Word of God and you've got to live it out every day of your life and you've got to listen to God's Word. 
I find so many Christians live subpar, nonchalant, non-working, non-effort-driven Christianity. And then when life falls apart for you, you come running to the pastor and say, save me, help me, tell me what to do. What I want you to understand is God's provided for you His Word to see His providential work in your life every day. Commit yourself to it. Read it. Study it. Live it. Do it. I've shared with you before, you don't, you don't have to read the whole thing. You know, I, 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 have, uh, I have partial dyslexia, and uh, I was uh, held back in fifth grade. I graduated high school when I was 19. Felt like a goofball most of my high school years. And my brother and my father, they, they, man, they are reading fools, man. And I, my brother can read through the Bible every three months. And that's wonderful. But God, God hasn't called you, anybody in this room to read the Bible every three months. What God has called you to do is read a little bit of it every day and get up and say, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go live out the Word of God in my life today. You don't have to be the brightest. You don't have to be the sharpest tool in the shed. You have to be surrendered to Him. And God is at work in your life and He loves you. A lot of times when I'm preaching, I have these condemnatory type points. You know, we're all sinners. We're all going to hell. Jesus died for us. So you ought to smile and at least say amen when I give you a point of encouragement. God is on your side today. Amen. And every day. God loves you. And God is working on your behalf. Trust Him. Follow Him. Let me make a second point. I'll move quickly today. Um, Here's the second point I want to make. You don't have to be a super mom to be used by God. And I kind of just spilled myself into that one a minute ago. You don't have to be a super mom to be used by God. You don't even have to be a mom to be used by God. Every person in this room, listen, you don't have to be the greatest, the most dynamic, the most gifted, the most skilled person. Hey, listen, I I mean, Jamie will tell you that my whistling is like a nail gun to the head. You don't even have to be able to whistle to be used by Jesus. God is not interested in all of your skills. If you have them, great. Submit them. Use them. God uses smart people. God uses not so smart people. But you don't have to be the super person for it to be used by God. Look back down to the text if you would. Look at the craziness of verse number 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and stay there. And then look at this. This is what he tells the prophet. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. He doesn't say I provided a rich person. He doesn't say I've provided a king. He doesn't say I provided somebody has all the stores of riches and all of the skills. He says I provided a widow to take care of you. And God will do it. And look at this lady's life. She is no doubt a lady that has suffering in her life. She's lost her husband. Wouldn't you say that somewhere in her life that's a point of suffering? This is a single lady with a son. And it's a struggling lady financially. And yet in the midst of all of that, what does it say? I've already commanded. I've commanded this lady. Can I say a few things about her? God was already in communication with her. Maybe you just need to breathe that in for this morning. My friend, no matter what your background or what you're like or what's going on in your life, 
or how little you feel today. If you submit your life to be used of the Lord and make Him the King of your life, God will use you. You, you, may, you may be suffering and struggling today. And there's people in this room. And you know what happens sometimes when we suffer and struggle as Christians? We have a tendency to isolate and close ourselves off. What God wants you to do is the more suffering that comes, the more you need to be serving God and serving other people. And as you serve, God will heal your suffering. She's suffering. She's a single mom. She's struggling financially. And all the while, God is speaking to her. You know, there are some people that have a lot of money and a lot of possessions and a lot of friendships and a whole bunch of friends on Facebook, and yet they don't ever have God speak to them. God's not interested about how many friends you have on Facebook. God's interested about you surrendering yourself to be used of Him. God speaks to her. I want you to see also in this passage that she trusts God and she obeys God. Look back down if you would. Uh, Let me just read these verses. It's almost comical to begin with. Verse 10 says, So he rose and he went and he gets there and he says to her, he calls the end of verse number 10, he says, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. Verse number 11. And she was going to get it. You see, she's already going to obey. She she knows that that's what it is. And he calls out to her and says, Hey, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. And you know, if you're this lady and you're starving to death, you you know, you you know what are you going to do you're going to double take and turn around what what in the world seriously right and what does she say in this verse i'm about to make a little piece of biscuit and me and my son are going to die we don't have anything look at verse number 13 here's pretty much the crux and the crucible of the entire chapter in one word look at it. it says then elijah said to her do not fear go do as you have said but make me a little bread cake from it First. First. God wants to use every person in this room for His glory. Every one of you. God's not so concerned with what you own. God's not so concerned with all of the healthy relationships that you have. What God's really concerned is, will you trust Him first? And will you obey Him? And can we just maybe kind of have a powwow time for a second as family? Are you trusting and obeying God first in your life? To my moms that are in here today, do you put your children first? Or do you put God first? Do you put your family first or do you put God first? To all the people that are in this room, do you put your career first or do you put God first? Do you put your desires and your wishes and your reputation first or God? And maybe it's not just a yes or no, this or that, 
maybe I'd say with believers in the room, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. There's probably areas of our life where we'd say, yes, I have surrendered that area of my life to the Lord, but there's this area that I'm holding on to. This is for me. I'm most important here. What I want, and I'm not going to show. I can't trust Him. I don't know that there'll be enough food in there, enough flour and enough oil to make the biscuits for tomorrow. I know that I believe in God. I've trusted God. I hear all these things that He's good, but He can't have that place in my life. I've got to hold on to that. I'm the one that has to make that happen. And isn't it just like God to send His servant into your life to pinpoint you right down to the point to where it really gets to the crucible? In fact, you know that's what the word Zarephath means, crucible. God brings you all the way down to the point where it says, are you willing to trust me with this area of your life? Let me just take an aside for a moment and say this when it comes to the gospel. Can't you think of a New Testament passage in which this guy who was rich and he was young and he was a ruler, completely opposite of this widow, he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what do I need to do to be a part of what you're doing? And he says, uh, well, you need to keep the law. And that young guy says, I've done all of that from the time I was a child until the time I'm now. And Jesus finally says, go sell all that you have and follow me. And he went away sad. Jesus, did you mess up the gospel? Jesus, were you preaching a work salvation? No, Jesus wasn't doing that at all. What He was doing is He was looking into your heart and your heart and my heart and He was finding the one place in our life where we say we need to be first and not Him. And He was asking Him to bow the knee of the heart to Jesus and to trust Him and to follow Him. Is there an area in your life where you're not following the Lord? Where you need to say, I need to stop and confess that and get right with Him and yield that area of my life back to the Lord. There are in my life, there's areas. I trust today that in your life, you'll find the area where you're not following Him and not trusting Him, and that you'd give that to Him today. And just because I'm a pastor and it's part of my job to kind of teach you, that's not the kind of decision that you just make one time at an altar and everything's changed. That's the kind of decision that you've got to get up every day of your life and say, you know what, I've got to once again yield myself to the Holy Spirit and ask Him to be the King of my life. And if there's a person in here today and you do not have an ongoing interactive relationship with Jesus whereby you've turned from your sin and trusted Him with your heart, that's what the Gospel brings us to. The Gospel causes you and calls you to lay down the weapons of your heart. Right now, you're listening to me in this room. You're listening to the Word of God. Christ is at your heart. The Spirit is convicting you. 
and you must find the place in your life where it doesn't matter what your friends think, it doesn't matter what your family thinks, it doesn't matter where you grew up or what you've done or whose water you took a bath in. What matters is that you're willing to lay down the weapons of your heart and say, I will give you all of my life. Save me. And you plead for Jesus to have mercy on your soul and He longs to do that. Are you there today? You might have walked into this place today and worried that the roof would fall in on you because that's the kind of life you've lived. Well, I assure you something. I assure you two things. One, we have checked out the structure of this building and it will not fall today. And two, even if the weight of this building did fall, the shoulders of Jesus on the cross of Calvary are able to bear all the load if you'll bow before Him. Let me make a third point. We'll finish up for today. Moms and everyone else in this room should look to Jesus this morning. Don't ever read your Old Testament and say, I want to be a better Abraham, I want to be a better Joseph, I want to be a better Esther, I want to be a better uh, Naomi or Ruth. That, that, That Jesus is the hero of all the Bible. Every bit of it. Okay? It's not about being a better character study. It's about being like Jesus. And if you want to follow the example of the believers through Scripture, you follow them in so much that their life points you toward Christ. And say, Steve, how does the life of somebody like Elijah uh, point us toward Jesus? Well, let me tell you, the way that we get to Jesus from Elijah is by going backwards, all right? Now, where are we going to go with that? Well, the longer that you read the book of 1 Kings, the more that you'll find that the author of this book has designed and laid it out so that the life of Elijah would mirror the life of Moses. We're going back. For instance, did you, did you notice there in uh, verse number 1 that Elijah comes to Ahab and pronounces the drought upon him? Same kind of language as when uh, Moses goes and pronounces the plagues to Pharaoh. And then what's the very next thing that happens in the same way that Moses was provided the manna and the quail out in the desert so God provides for His prophet the manna and the meat by the ravens? you'll find that both Elijah and Moses fled from the face of the Lord and they went out in the wilderness. You'll find that both of these men have similar lives. Did you know that both of them meet the angel of the Lord? Moses at the burning bush and Elijah the tree. Why is the life of Moses and the life of Elijah so similar? Because in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, the Bible says that since Moses there has not arisen a prophet like him, but there will come a prophet that is greater than Moses. And all the rest of the Old Testament is looking for the prophet that is greater than Moses. And when you read this story, you should be asking yourself, is Elijah the one that is greater than Moses? He sure looks like that. 
But by the time you get to the story of Elisha, you'll find that it can't possibly be Elijah because Elisha does twice as many miracles as Elijah. And all of the Old Testament unfolds looking for this one who would be a prophet greater than Moses. Well, just guess who that one is. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the prophet that was promised by Moses. And in our lives, as we look at the end of this chapter, we see Elijah going into the room and bringing resurrection life to this widow's son. And the only one who can bring eternal resurrection is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who Himself was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And He arose with victory over death, hell, and the grave, so that every human being, under the sound of my voice today, who would be called by God and believe in their heart upon the gospel, might have everlasting life, resurrection life, now and in the eternity to come. Moms, look to Jesus. Somebody once said, there's no love like a mother's love. There is a love greater than a mother's love. And that is the love of the great God of heaven poured out through Calvary and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to be the best mom that you can possibly be to your children, you're not to look within yourself and you're not to say, what can I do to put them first? You are to say, how do I raise my children so that they look to Jesus? Not so that I give them everything that makes them happy but so that they grow up learning to love Jesus. Look to Jesus and be saved. Look to Jesus and find the way to raise children. Look to Jesus and you'll understand how to live in right relationships with everyone that's around you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? And uh, just a second, we'll sing a verse of the song. Maybe just right where you are right now, I just want to encourage you. Uh, I want to encourage you to look, look past me and look to the Lord Jesus Christ today. God is at work in your life. God wants you to use you no matter what you've done. And the way to make all that happen is to look to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right where you are, right where you are, if from a sincere and a humble heart you call on Him, He'll save you. And you say, how, how will we know that it'll be manifest, it'll be evidenced in the way that your life changes? We want to help you walk with Christ. But it all begins by you turning from your sin and making Jesus the Lord and Master of your life right where you are. And for all of my believing friends in here this morning, what's that area of your life that you would identify with this widow where Elijah says, make it for me first? What's the area in your life that God becomes second? Just do business with Him right there.